Hey there, this is Steve Lee with Veritas Catholic Network. Happy Easter, the Lord is risen. On Let Me Be Frank today, Bishop Caggiano will celebrate Easter week with us with some reflections on the resurrection of Jesus and what it means for us, what our mission is now. And then he has some thoughts on mercy and Divine Mercy Sunday. First, just a quick reminder that you can find Faithful Catholic Programming right here on 1350 AM or on the Veritas Catholic Network mobile app. Listen live on the app or grab podcasts of Let Me Be Frank or Restless, which is the show for millennials by millennials, or The Frontline with Joe and Joe, where our hosts go into the breach as they interview Catholic leaders and more. Keep your radio dialed to 1350 AM or listen to the Veritas Catholic Network app on your phone and be fed. We are Catholic Radio for Connecticut and New York, bringing the truth to our community. More information is at www.veritascatholic.com. All right, and I would like to welcome you all back to Let Me Be Frank. As always, it's my great pleasure to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, happy Easter to you. Happy Easter, Excellency. Yeah, yeah. this is number two for our podcast, right? It's our number second Easter. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. Because last year we did a, we were on in time for Easter and Holy Week last year. And, mm-hmm. uh, and this year we are, are still at it. Thank so God. thank yeah somehow we're still still going <laughs> we're still here <laughs> you know um excellency as i was thinking about uh easter and today's show you know it just occurs to me i think one of the problems that we have as cradle catholics or longtime catholics is um we're too familiar with the stories you know first because i think the crucifixion should mm-hmm. actually break our hearts when we mm-hmm. read it and think about it. And then Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, he rose from the dead. You know, mm-hmm. this should be shocking, earth shattering news for all of us. And you, it's stuff that you can't just hear and say, all right, great. What's next? You know, it should, it should move you. And. It's too familiar. Yes, I would agree. Familiarity breeds contempt, right, sometimes. But I also think, quite honestly, is that we don't sit with the story long enough. Hmm. Right? So that, like we said last week when we looked at the passion of the Lord, we look at the facts, we reduce the, the picture that's being painted to just the main characters. But in fact, there's a whole beautiful, rich context. It's, it's, like, um, it's like a painting. And the more you look at it, the more you see. And that's also a fault of the modern world. We kind of skim over everything yeah. rather than sit with it for a while, right? Yes. And I think that allows the, 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 the experience, right? So the, the, the truth of faith, maybe not like, wow, but it strikes you in a new way. And therefore it teaches you something else, which is all there. Mm-hmm. It's just a question of allowing it to find its way into your heart. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's... So 
so I wonder to myself, like even with the story of the Lord's uh, resurrection, we hinted at this the last time we were, we were together. The women needed to go back to anoint the body because it wasn't properly done because of the Sabbath, right? So they needed to go back. So the question I wonder to myself is, what were they talking about before they got to the tomb? And I'm guessing, if I could speculate, they were going out of a deep sense of love and duty and respect to the Lord, but perhaps a level of confusion or regret or maybe anger at the crowd that they turned on him, right? Like, where were all those people he, he cured? All the people he fed? Yeah. All the people he taught? Where were they? Right? It's almost as I got what I wanted and I move on. Or I'm absent-minded or I'm f forgetful. Right? So I wonder what was crossing their minds and more importantly in their hearts when they got there. And of course Mary Magdalene thought Jesus was a gardener. Which is, so, so what was the gardener doing? And what did the gardener, did she run into the gardener leaving the, when she met the Lord? And what did he think? This woman is insane. <laughs> but then he would have seen the empty tomb. Yeah. Right? Right. What did he make of it? And how would the authorities try to discredit the resurrection? Simply because they would have been between shocked and mortified that it could even possibly be true. Right? And St. Matthew hints at that about the rumors that the body was stolen and all of this stuff. Or that Jesus wasn't actually really dead, he was just waiting his time to, I mean, right? And in the midst of all of that, there is the resurrection. And one of the spiritual lessons is, even in the midst of great grace, the darkness still tries to impinge. And even when it seemed to be the moment of, of the triumph of darkness on Calvary, there were still moments of light with Our Lady and St. John and the other women there, and the centurion coming to faith. Right? So, it, 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 there is always a, 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 an opening into the mystery of how we live our life right now, because there are some days Calvary is more in our minds or what we face, or the child, and other days more the empty tomb. But there's never an experience where it's all completely darkness or all completely light because of, of, of the broken world we live in that Jesus wishes to heal in his resurrection, if we let him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, so the tomb is empty, Jesus is risen. Where do we go from here? What's our mission now with that? Well, it's interesting. What are the proofs of the Lord's resurrection? The empty tomb and his resurrection appearances. Right? So they're both. Because the empty tomb could have been a speculation. A lot of things could have done, right? Could have caused an empty tomb, including those who would have said, this was all staged. Right? 
but it's the resurrection appearances that vindicate why the tomb was empty. Um, so where do we go from here? It's a basic charismatic question, kerygma, right? It's the basic question. Do you believe? If you do, you take one path. If you don't, you're going to take another path. So there's that moment of truth for all of us standing before this great mystery. And it's a mystery hard to describe, as we mentioned last year when we talked about this, because there's a bodily element to it. And we, since we're children, think of heaven solely as a spiritual reality. But there's a corporeal reality too. Even though it's spiritualized, there is a body that Jesus resurrected with. So it's, it's a profound mystery to think that when I die, and if I am found worthy, I will see others who were found worthy in a glorified life where I will recognize them. I will see them. Right? I will, I will be able to, to have some relationship that's similar to what I have here, let's say with you or friends or people, because the body is still part of it. Although I'm not exactly sure how, how that works, right? Until we get there. So to me, where do we go from here? It's just a question of, do you believe or not? Yeah. And sadly, many people don't believe. Yeah. I think a lot of people just think, even if they believe that it happened, it's just something that happened somewhere in the past. You know, but in reality, Excellency, isn't it that they are um, now, right? They bring hope and life today to our world oh, that but, is but, full but, of sin. Oh, but without that, absolutely. I mean, remember, the entire incarnation was an act of service and love for us. The second person of the Blessed Trinity didn't have to enter into human life, anything other than his free choice to redeem us, to heal us, to forgive us, to give us life to give us the fullness of life. So everything that happened to the Lord Jesus is given to us, right, by grace. So the, offers of re- the offer of resurrection is both after our death, but it's also, there are moments of healing and forgiveness and new life all along the journey, aren't it? Yes. Yep. And I'm not sure how often we spend time reflecting on those or giving thanks for those yeah. in our lives. Yeah, mm-hmm. or, or also sharing that with others. I mean, to me, it almost feels like with this kind of gift that we've been given, the kerygma, as you mm-hmm. mentioned, Excellency, it should be a part of every conversation we have with someone new. Right, right. Yeah, and when we do encounter people who do that, don't we think... Many times we, fall, we hear this voice in the back of my mind saying, oh, that's a fanatic. That's a holy roller. Stay away from that person because they'll never stop talking. Right? <laughs> when actually, that which they're speaking of is the most real, most true, most important 
aspect of our lives. Mm-hmm. So, for, for ourselves as Christians, we have to make peace with the basic premise that if we believe, we need to totally believe that every aspect of our life, even with its struggles, has to be subject to that which we believe, to be molded into what we believe, to bear witness to what we believe. To have a conflicted witness is no witness at all in the end. And if anything, it not only does it not convince others to come to faith, it doesn't give, it doesn't even, it may actually lessen the ability of those who do believe to bring others to faith. Does that make sense? Yeah, because people can see how you're living or how you're trying to live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Well, they're all Christians. Well, are they? <laughs> That's the other question to ask. I mean, in some sense, yes, but it's not everyone who, who carries the name Christian is actually growing in his or her faith and willing to witness to the resurrected Lord everywhere they go. Yeah. So, that yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Easter is, is traditionally the, the day that new, uh, new, we get new people into the church, right? The right Correct. RCIA and Correct. baptism right. and the sacraments of initiation. What's, mm-hmm. What message would you like to give specifically to the people who have just entered and joined the, the church family? Well, my message first is to the community that welcomed them. A person who has discerned a deep stirring in his or her heart to enter into a relationship with the Lord Jesus in and through our church, who has encountered him, fallen in love with him, and now commits his or her life to him, should never be left alone to do that. So the first word I have is all to all these parishes and communities that are welcoming these adults in the rites of, of initiation, right? That it's not graduation, <laughs> right? It's You're not, not done. You're They're saying. done. Here's your certificate. Congratulations. <laughs> Here's your certificate. Here are your envelopes. Welcome to the Catholic Church. Sit down, right? <laughs> no, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> I mean, we have to keep walking with them because for all the formation, they have much more to experience and learn and they have to be part of a community to do that. Those who go through the RCIA that fall away over time is because they were left on their own. And those who are being initiated, if they truly are coming to faith in the Lord then they need to be willing to be led and accompanied. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in many ways, it's almost like having a new member of the family, you know, a child that you have to keep protecting, feeding, and then one day they will protect and feed you. Yeah. Right? You know, it's... What you're saying, Excellency, makes total sense. But in in my experience, it's been people who convert to the church as adults, come to the mm-hmm. Catholic faith as adults, 
they often come in with much more zeal and also uh, in a lot of cases knowledge of the faith mm -hmm. than those of us who have been here for mm -hmm. a long time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Without a doubt, because they have to fight the tide of secularism. Because everything out there would have said, this is the craziest thing you could do is become a Catholic. You've got to be kidding. <laughs> right? And But they realize what the world considers crazy is the path to true joy. You're absolutely right. But nonetheless, they're entering into a church, a community. A body. And therefore, right, a yeah. body, the mystical body, in which case the community has a profound responsibility to that person. Yes. And it can be mutually enriching. Yes, some of the greatest, some, some, some of the greatest pastoral leaders we have in our diocese are converts. Lay leaders are converts, right? And they continue to grow in the knowledge because they've struggled for it. They fought for it. They had to suffer for it. So if the community stays in contact and supports them, then the community's enriched, right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and we need to be, I think, we need to be open to um, understanding that they have a lot to offer us. You know, we can't look at them and say, well, you're new to the church, so I know better than you. That Oh, you know, so what do you think about, like, the idea of um, people who are already Catholic going through RCIA or something like that? Oh, well, we have the neocatechumenal way. Hmm. That's exactly what it is. It's Pope. Is post-baptismal catechumenate. So the whole premise of the neocatechumenal way is many people have fallen away, many people find themselves lost in life, and they are they go through a process of a catechumenal process, similar to what the ancient church has and what we have now for those who are entering the church. They walk with those individuals for those already initiated in the church. So almost to have the adult appropriation of it. Yeah. And again, it's about a community. A community takes you in and walks with you. Yeah, so I would not necessarily recommend those who are already initiated to go into the RCIA because this is the time for those seeking the inquirers and those seeking faith. They need to be the focal point. But to have a similar experience like the Neocats have or other, like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You have to, if, if faith is a seed, you have to allow that seed to bear fruit and grow, right? Something has to unite or ignite that fire. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not sure how much we do in that regard. That's a whole new vista that we have to explore. Right? Seems so important, though. Yeah, because if, if a community is healthy, if a parish community is healthy, you will be given opportunities to grow in your faith all throughout your life. And to the extent that those opportunities don't exist, then the parish may be financially secure, but it's not pastorally or spiritually healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Can I, I want to ask you, last year, um, you told this great story of when you were in the Holy Land, and you took some priests, I think, from Brooklyn to the Holy Land. Oh, with yes, you. and the tomb. Yes. The tomb. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. In the Stations of the Cross, um, again, St. Alphonsus Liguori's, he speaks about kissing the stone of his tomb in the 14th station. And when I read it the first time, because I did the stations every day in Lent, 
Okay. Uh, it struck me. I said, wow, does St. Alphonsus do the same thing? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> where did he get that from? Uh, and every time I get to the end and I read the same line, it's that same sort of, to your point, it's like this, you get slapped in the face with grace. Yeah. That there's something fragrant and beautiful and deeply moving and touching about the Lord who has risen from the dead, still bearing all of the wounds except a few that he endured for us. I mean, it's just, you know, I often say in my homilies, the altar is where heaven and earth kiss. It's that sacrifice of the mass. Well, the sacrifice of the mass is in grace what happened in that tomb. Yeah. Yep. And you said it actually did smell like flowers when you went in there. It smelled like roses. It smelled like roses. Yeah, it did. And that's what slapped me in the face. Huh. I think yeah. there's something that happens Absolutely. there. You know, I, I can't wait. God... God willing, I'll be able to go one day. But my, my parents went a number of years ago, a long time ago. And my dad said that he got up early. It was Easter Sunday. You were there on Easter Sunday too, right, Excellency? No, no. Okay. I went in the summertime. Okay. I think he said it was Easter Sunday and he got up early because he wanted to see what it would look like at dawn. Oh, really? And, yeah. And he got there and there were some, there was already some people going there. Mm-hmm. And there was, I guess, a guard outside, and he mm-hmm. was stopping many of the people. My dad walked up, and he said, go ahead, go through. So my dad was like, okay. And he went in, and it turned out, it just happened to be that there was a group of Korean Catholics there celebrating oh, Mass. Oh, kidding! And they thought he was one of them, so he went in and... <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Yeah, I just... Um... I told you last year when we were, Mike's, my visit to the, um, the Basilica of the Holy Sepulchre was like Charles Dickens, the best of times, the worst of times, <laughs> right? The best of times for the experience that, you know, you recall for, for me and the, and the listeners, that, that just moment of time when you, you're overwhelmed with the scent of roses at the very place where the Lord rose, kissing the stone, that the, the top that just held ajar. The worst of times was walking up to Calvary and just people carrying on. It took every ounce. You know, I'm saying to myself, my gosh, I'm in Israel. They're going to arrest me and you'll never see me again. (laughs) But if we were in the United States, if this were in the United States, I would have let loose and put those people in their place. It was almost like it's a tourist attraction. Selfies in the place of your redemption. But what are you, insane? Yeah, And I guess the guards and all the rest, I mean, perhaps they've tried in the past, and but that and, and didn't stop. But I just kind of like crunched over in a corner and I said, 2,000 years later, they're still bystanders. They're no different mm-hmm. than the, gate, the, the, the storekeepers on the Via Cruces. Mm-hmm. They have no idea what's going on. Not a clue. They're no different. More bystanders. When salvation is walking in front of them, literally in front of them, not an idea. 
as if God's going to give any care for the sulfur you just took in the place where you were redeemed. Right? That was kind of like, wow. You see that, you see that at most holy sites, it feels like, you know, Fatima and Lourdes and all these places. On your way in, you're, you just have to pass through all these like vendors of trinkets, like glow-in-the-dark mm-hmm. statues of mm-hmm. Mary and stuff like that. I, maybe it gives you a more of an appreciation once you actually enter in. I don't. I'm, I never thought about it. I guess, but well, I think what has changed is that has always been the case. But what has changed is the nature of the pilgrim, mm, for they okay. are no longer pilgrims. Some are, and some are tourists. Right. So you go to the sepulchre, you go to St. Peter's, you, you go to some of the other holy sites around the world, and you either go as an expression of faith, or you go because it's something to see. Right? At St. Peter's, you can see the change. From when I was a student priest to now, you can clearly see the change. And people are just going because, you know, it's a beautiful place. Yeah. But so is the Metropolitan Museum of, uh, of Art. It's a beautiful place. But I'm not going to go there. It has no, no eternal significance to me. And if it does, it's only because it, it, it participates in the beauty that God gives to us. So I just, really, I mean, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's I hate to do it on, on that note, but let's take a break, Excellency. We'll come yes, back and, and continue. Yes, okay. let's regroup. <laughs> You're listening to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano on the Veritas Catholic Network. We'll be right back. Catholic Radio works, and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic Radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas. Tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and His Church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. All right, welcome back, everybody, to Let Me Be Frank, featuring Bishop Frank Caggiano. Um, Excellency, we ended the last segment talking about the change that you've seen and that's out there in the people who go to holy sites. And it might be related to, I don't know if you saw last week, but Gallup put out a report of U.S. adults that said that the percentage of Catholics who say they are a member of a church dropped by like 20 percentage points in the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. 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 Does that surprise you? Uh, unfortunately, no. I mean, but it's disappointing nonetheless. Yeah, it is. It is very disappointing. And it can be disheartening if it wasn't for the fact that I'm a man of great hope. That this, this, is, this is a moment of true renewal for the church. But you see, what I'm about to say may sound a little bit judgmental, and I hope and pray I don't mean it that way. But in a world where we want our cake and we want to eat it as well, where we want everything to fit the way we want it, I am not surprised that many percentage of Catholics have left. Because, as I said before, the faith is the faith. And if you think that you can tailor the faith faith to meet or, or 
be consonant with what you think should be the truth or what your politics may be or your desire to defend the economic system the way it is or your own prejudices or your own desires or your own opinions, sooner or later, you're not going to be happy. Mm-hmm. And what most people forget is faith is meant to be a struggle. It is meant to be a struggle. It's not only there to console us. It's there to challenge us, sometimes to slap us, right? And therefore, I think part of that fallout is the unfortunate consequence of forgetting that if if I'm having if I'm having difficulties with some of what the church teaches, the proper response, if I may, is not initially to walk away. The response is to struggle through. And notice, I didn't say fight; I said struggle. Yes, it's not to say therefore the church should change what it teaches. No, no, there's an arrogance there that comes from pride. No, the question is. Let me struggle and try to figure out, understand why we even got to this conclusion. How did we get to this article of faith? And if it makes me uncomfortable, then you sit with that uncomfortability. But we live in a world that says if it's uncomfortable or if you don't like it, you just walk away. And it's sad because I would think a lot of those individuals are good. They're attempting to be good. And... Have, even the scandals in the church. And they've been horrific. Some of the behavior has been disgusting. A natural response would simply say, like any, if it's an institution only, well, you know, the heck with you people. I'm going somewhere else. But we're not an institution. We're a mystical body. Yes. Okay. So you got to struggle with it. Yeah, you have to struggle with it. And can you be angry? Absolutely. And can you demand accountability? Absolutely. And transparency? Absolutely. And accountability? Absolutely. But it's a struggle. It will be a struggle. Yeah. You know, this see part of uh, part of what I struggle with myself as a bishop is that there's there's a beautiful coherence to the faith. It really does all fit together. But you have to be able to be given the opportunity to learn it as, as, a, as a whole, which you can't do in one sitting. That's why the church says you learn your faith over a lifetime. That when we're young, we probably struggle, struggle more with faith. As we grow older, we struggle less because we understand more of the pieces, how they fit together. But I would, I would suggest to anyone who came to see me privately or personally, I would say the response is not to walk away, though. The response is not to walk away. At least initially, it's not to walk away. It is to struggle with it. Because you may be surprised at what you yes. learn. Yeah. Still right? founded by Christ. And like you said, the mystical body with Christ as our head. Right. So. Right. Right. Um, but that, that percentage of people leaving is really a, a sign of the disappointment, I think, in what has happened in the scandals. And I think also with the inability to reconcile themselves with some of the teachings of the, of the church that have more of a social import. Yeah. 
I think also Excellency, you mentioned uh, at the very beginning of, of today's show that um, we can't just take the, the Gospels and skim through it. And I think everybody today skims through everything because we have so much stuff coming at us. Social media, we skim through it. You know, newspaper articles, we skim through it. Everything. But, you know, like you're saying, the s- scripture is the one place where you need to stop and slow down because only then can you absorb it. And if you're not absorbing it, if you're just skimming it, then it's easier for you to say, you know what, that's that's fine over there. I don't need that. Right. And also, I think there's a cost. There's a cost to be Catholic. And sometimes it's a cost people struggle to pay because the world is not is, is in opposition. And not just to Catholics, to people of faith, Christians of faith, um, but to the Catholic Church in particular, the, the, the society is in opposition. So it's one thing to accept faith privately or personally, and the other one to live it, as we said, in witness. And for some people, that's a very difficult ask. Yeah, especially in this environment that we live in, that we're called to evangelize in. And you've always said, Excellency, that we need to evangelize first with the way we live. It's In the mirror. In the mirror, looking in the mirror. Yeah, yep. And when you do that, then the way you live outside that other people can see also changes. It's like um, um, the Denver police officer who was Mm -hmm. shot and killed responding to the grocery store. You know. Oh yes, of course, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. he lived a certain way. Mm-hmm. He ran to danger to protect people. He was a Catholic father of seven, mm-hmm. and I read that fourteen hundred people logged in to the live stream of his requiem mass. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think you say to yourself, "Why, in the name of goodness, is this still happening?" We had the wound of the the death of all of those children in Newtown. We're not far from the tenth anniversary, right? Just a few years. Yes. And it's still going on. Yeah. It's still going on. Yeah. There's deep there's deep anger. There's also a tremendous amount of psychological illness that has to be addressed in our society. Individuals who cannot care for themselves, we need to figure out a care for them. They can't be left out until they do harm. Because when they do harm, it's too late for them and for the people that they've harmed. Yeah. Yeah. So much anger and not enough mercy in today's... Yes, of course. Yep. And actually... Absolutely. Yeah. And so this Sunday is going to be Divine Mercy Sunday. So Mm -hmm. maybe we should spend some time talking about that, Excellency. Yeah, of course. And, and mercy, mercy is the stance of God towards creation. Right? Because ultimately, it was mercy that, um, in part, motivated the Lord to offer his life for us. Right? It was mercy for us and, and, to, to, to re, and to give us an opportunity to lift out of our spiritual squalor right, and to share his glory. Right? That's what uh, St. Faustina said. It was born on the cross. right? Mm-hmm. Blood and water flowed from the cross. Um, and 
in a sense, one could say all of creation is an act of mercy. It's a free gift so that God could share his life freely with creation and after the fall through redemption. Because God doesn't need created reality. He is totally self-sufficient in himself. He is yeah. perfect being, perfect love. So everywhere you go, we're surrounded by mercy. Everywhere. All right, so now let me ask you a question. If that's the case, if the very grammar of our faith is rooted in mercy, in a very, in a very allegiance to the Savior, is because he comes to us right, poor so that he could share the richness and riches of his divinity with us. Why do we find it so hard to be merciful to one another? Right? Yeah, it's, um, right. So what if you love those who love you? Even tax collectors and pagans do the same. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. This is, Excellency, this is actually why um, the our, our Father actually scares me. <laughs> because... I know in my heart that I have somebody from my past that I feel really did me wrong. And I still have negative feelings and thoughts when I think of this person. And I know I need to forgive this person. Otherwise, you know, ba just based on the Our Father itself, like I could be damning myself by not forgiving this person. Right. But remember, negative feelings, they are what they are. Negative thoughts are spontaneous unless you dwell on them. It's how you act towards the person. It's whether or not you have effectively forgiven them or not. So that's one thing you need to remember. But you're okay. right. You're right. In the end, you know, I was reflecting on the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son. And I thought to myself, why? In the end, what motivated this older son to get so hot under the collar when his younger brother came back. And then it dawned on me, in my now newly arrived early old age, it dawned on me that it says the father separated the property, right? Mm -hmm. So whose pig was it? Ah, It wasn't the father's. It was the older son. Where did all the provisions come for the party? They came from the older son. Yeah. So not only did he come back, but he was even taking some of what his brother owed, owned to welcome him back. You see, so then I thought to myself, now I understand why he would have been so angry, in part why he's so angry, and why mercy costs so if you're going to be merciful truly merciful okay it will extract a price from you otherwise it's not true mercy so just like what you said now about this person who did you wrong to be truly merciful to him it will cost you my friend right yes yep right yeah so now i'm a little bit more sympathetic to the uh to the righteous son. Because it would take a lot to 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 welcome his bro his brother yeah. back. Because yeah. it costs him. 
Yeah, I I imagine that that older son also wouldn't even maybe initially have been convinced. You didn't come back because you were sorry. You came back because you're hungry. Of course, like exactly when we opportunities for mercy, you're not coming here because you really that you really care or if you really changed your ways or whatever. It's because I'm the last resort. You know, you have nowhere else to go. You're just, uh, you know, a fraud. Yeah. Well, I think this brings mm-hmm. us to confession and the mm-hmm. need for confession. And I'm not sure enough people go to confession. I feel like I don't go to confession enough. I go about once a month. Well, but well, I mean, if you, if you go once a month, it's great, right? Unless you're a horrible sinner, but that's between you and your confessor. <laughs> <laughs> Not on this podcast. We don't want to know. <laughs> but um, why confession? I begin to why questions now. Why confession? Why? You know, why couldn't you in the end get on your knees at your bed and ask God to forgive you? And you think God would not forgive you? Why do we have to go to the sacrament of of reconciliation and penance? Yeah. Any ideas? Well, I mean, I think the answer, I think, Excellency, starts in the Gospel of John when, the night of Easter Sunday even, it was, when Jesus appeared in the upper room and he breathed on the Mm -hmm. apostles and gave them the Holy Spirit and said, whose sins you forgive are forgiven Mm -hmm. and whose sins you retain are retained. Mm -hmm. So, mm-hmm. so you. So why did priest, he choose that course? Why did he choose that course? Uh, uh, because for you mean for my sake? No, no, for anybody's sake. In other words, why did Jesus choose to give that authority and power to the apostles and his successors and his priests? And there's no right or wrong answer here, right? Yeah. It's just a question of by trying to answer it, you appreciate the beauty of the sacrament and why you should go. And I'll give you one answer that always comes to mind. Okay. If I'm kneeling at my bed and asking God to forgive me, how do I know he did? Mm-hmm. How, do I, how do I have the consolation that these sins truly are forgiven? How do I walk away with the confidence to try to rebuild my life, knowing that I have a foundation to which to build it on? And when you're in the sacrament, one of the great gifts is you hear it with your own ears. Yes. And I think that's part of the beautiful, merciful, divine gift we have in that sacrament, is that it's not left to guessing, I wonder, confusion. I absolve you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I being Christ through the priest. Right. So that's a tremendous gift Right? Yes, definitely. Definitely. And there's the, another and, reason, too, if I may. Oh, no, please, please. Oh, I, was gonna, I was going to guess at, the, at another reason. Oh, good. Let me hear it. So, uh, even before you, as the penitent, go in, there's, mm-hmm. a, a, um, there's a, a state of mind that you have to put yourself in, an, an actual contrition, unless you're pre- just presuming on his mercy, but you need to have this actual state of mm-hmm. contrition in order to verbalize and say it out loud to someone else. Mm-hmm. And then there's this great grace that you receive mm-hmm. from the sacrament. Mm-hmm. So how do you put yourself in that state of contrition? How do you do that? Many ways can be done. I will share one. If we spend a bit of time after we've identified the things we accuse ourselves of, the things that we know we have sinned, 
and put ourselves into the position or the shoes of the people to whom we have sinned, against whom we have sinned, to feel what they felt, to live the consequences of what we did, there should be an overwhelming sense of sorrow for what, what, what we did. Right? So you hurt someone, you say something just awful. Sit a while. And if those words were said to you, how would you feel? For that is what you caused. That's the hurt you caused that you cannot take away since you cannot take those words back. And I think that sort of exercise builds that sense of contrition and sorrow. And again, another reason for the sacrament. Even if I'm sorry, I can't undo all the damage I did. It's like saying I pressed the red button and the building blew up. I'm sorry. Well, the building still blew up. <laughs> right? So how, how, how do you live with that guilt? If there isn't in the economy of salvation this sense that, yes, you are obligated to undo what you can, and then in the temporal punishment for our sins, we will atone for what we can't, and God makes up the difference in all things. Yeah. Right? Because God can heal that person in a way my saying, I'm sorry, a thousand times could never do. That's another reason why the sacrament is extremely important. There's one more that I could add. And that is, if I gossip about you, Steve, which I've never done, but let's say if I decide to do it today, I am hurting you and I'm cheapening the life of everyone with whom I spoke. Hmm. The harm I have inflicted is more than on you. So, the community is in some sense offended in our sins. For no sin, we've said before many times, is private. It's personal, but not private. Right. So therefore, the sacrament is one of the sacraments of the community. So you're speaking in the name of the Lord Jesus, but the Lord Jesus is the head of a mystical body. And one could poetically describe it as the Lord Jesus forgiving us and the members of his mystical body in grace are also extending to us mercy in this, which to me gives tremendous consolation, right? When I'm in need of it. Yes. So there is no reason in my mind why a person would not on a regular basis use the sacrament right to their spiritual health and benefit yeah yeah it's so transformative you know that and the eucharist i mean absolutely and the only thing i mean in the old days when i was young ancient history there was a sense of embarrassment at saying some things in confession but having lived through the last 40 years i'm not sure anybody's embarrassed anymore <laughs> I mean, it just if you turn on to the, on television alone, the things they say, it's like, you, I mean, almost scandal and embarrassment has been eliminated because people do the most outrageous things, say the most outrageous things. So yeah, if you do feel embarrassed, 
Don't let that stop you from going. Yeah. That's the evil one trying to trick you. Yeah. Because I guarantee you, if the priest is a bit older, he has heard everything. Everything. There is nothing you can say, I, unless perhaps I'm wrong, but I'm almost certain there's nothing you could say he has not heard before. But we, and, and, and we need confession. We need it. You, you, if you're listening, you need to go. You need to go. Um, yeah, it's an act of humility, truthfulness. And the response back is an act of divine mercy. Excellency, what do you think about it? Is it also an act of um, trust on our part in Jesus' mercy? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, because you wouldn't offer yourself to it if you didn't think, if you thought in any way, shape, or form that you, you would be ignored or manhandled or not responded to. So there is a trust. Yeah. Yeah, but my goodness, to trust the Lord. If you don't trust the Lord, who would you trust? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the divine mercy, I mean, uh, God gave us three, at least three, if not four or more, or even more great saints out of Poland just in the 1900s, in the 20th century. Mm-hmm. And, and they're mm-hmm. all mystics. Faustina, is a, St. Faustina was a mystic. Maximilian Kolbe had an experience mm-hmm. with the Blessed Mother. John Paul II. Mm-hmm. And what do they all have in common? They're Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> Give that yeah, man an A+. Plus. <laughs> they all lived in a time of, of political and societal repression. Yes. Right? They were all, <clears throat> in some way, shape, or form, in a time when um, the state, the, the world around them, mm-hmm. wanted to stamp out that which they believed in. And what, how they responded was being heroic. That's what a saint is. So our own age is setting us up for the same circumstances. Yeah. So who among us will one day, one day be numbered among the saints? That is something to ponder. Yes. <laughs> yes. On yes. that note, we're going to take a break. This is Let Me Be Frank featuring Bishop Frank Caggiano on the Veritas Catholic Network. We're going to take a break and be right back. Why do we need Catholic radio? Because not everybody's sitting in front of a computer or watching their television set at home. How about when driving to work? How about while at work at your desk? Catholic radio is there for you. I may be a Catholic priest, but I'm still a student of the faith. And Catholic radio helps supply good material, whether it be a question and answer format show, Whether it be a show itself on doctrine or theology, I myself, as a priest, am always learning. Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Excellency, we have um, a cool question this week. It came in via email, and the question asks, Did you have a special devotion to a saint when you were growing up? And I'll add to the listener's question, um, how about now, uh, devotion to a saint now? Well, growing up, it was St. Francis, my namesake, right? I had a tremendous devotion to Francis. I loved reading the story of his life um, precisely because he was uncompromising. He was, like, he was strong and gentle. He, like, he was almost paradoxical in some sense. And, and, and in that, 
And in that regard, there are times in your life when you're looking for someone who's strong, who's convicted, who will go to the sultan, to, but then gentle, talk to the, to the animals, embrace death as a sister. Uh, he just fascinated me. Yeah. He still does. He's he a great one. fascinates me. Yeah. But as I've grown older, um, our lady who was always in the background, she was always in the background, came to the forefront. And she has worked in powerful ways in my life. I cannot escape her, actually. Is what I, even if I wanted to, I couldn't. Nor would I ever want to. But she, her, her presence is just so clear to me. And I've relied on her guidance so much that to the extent that I have grown in holiness in my life, um, it is due to the grace of the Lord and it's due to the guidance of Our Lady. And I have been somewhat of a difficult child <laughs> all these years. But she hasn't, she hasn't given up. She has not <laughs> given up. So, yeah, that's how I would, that has, so Francis is still there. So it's ironic when the Pope took the name Francis, I thought, wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. You know, in my imagination, you know, when you're growing up as a little kid, you say, if I were the Pope, what name would I take? Mm-hmm. Well, he, there, it's taken. <laughs> well, there, you, could be, you could be two. Oh, I don't think that'll ever happen. <laughs> <laughs> my, uh, my second son, he's getting confirmed in May, and he took the name Francis of Assisi. So. Oh, he did? Yeah. Oh, good for him. Yeah. Good for him. Is he getting confirmed at St. Mary's? Yes. Oh, I'll be yep. there. I'll be there. Yay. I'll be there. Good. <laughs> Great. All Great. right. So if you're listening and you have a question for Bishop Frank, please send it in to us. You can send it in on social media or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And so is Veritas Catholic Network. Excellency, happy Easter. Would you please give us your blessing? Yes. Happy Easter, my friend. And a joyful one. The whole season, all 50 days worth. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. We rejoice in the message of the resurrected Lord, Heavenly Father. For in him you have given us healing, forgiveness, and new life. May the days of this Easter season be a time of joyful renewal and great peace. And may the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit come upon you now and forever. Amen. Steve, amen. I'll see you next week. Thanks, Excellency. See ya. Okay. All the best. <laughs>